day of the first grade, August 30th, 1965, Hammond Elementary School, thinking how unfair it was to go on my birthday. Let me tell you the rest of the story. I went into the restroom when the teacher said it was time to go to the restroom, and we went down the hall and walked to the restroom. And there, when you turn the corner, when you got inside, is a boy with a handful of money. I'm not making this one up. Dollar bills. And he would give you a dollar bill if you would promise to be his friend. I was a friendly kind of a guy, and I thought it would be wrong not to take the money from him. And so I took a dollar, indicating perhaps that I would be a minister one day and taking money from people or a real estate agent. I had to say that for Harry and And so I took the dollar and went back to class and was just as, you know, this school stuff doesn't so matter. I'd made a dollar. And in 1965, a dollar, well, pretty good money. Later on in the day, I don't know if it was the intercom system or Mrs. Hutchins, the teacher, David Shivers, go to the office. First day of school. And I went to the office. And when you get into the office, then they would usher you into the principal office with some other miscreants that were all called to the office that day. The boy that handed out the money, his name was Bobby O'Quinn. And the principal who's telling us she knows what we did, that we need to give the money back. I was, number one, very impressed with the principal. I didn't know they had that kind of power that they would know everything that happened in the school and so I gave the dollar back, and then I got a little connecting it on her desk was the name, it was Mrs. O'Quinn, it, it was Bobby's mother, the principal of the school. It was not a good day, and, and I remember back then they threatened you with something called the permanent record. I don't know when they tore Hammond School down and made the retirement center there if they got rid of my permanent record. I hope so. They prepped us with that that day. It was a bad day. We all know too well about bad days. And it's kind of funny sometimes. You'll notice some people, when they're having a bad day, they love to tell you about it. You have made the mistake sometimes asking somebody, how's your day going? And if they're having a bad one, they want to give you every detail about their bad day. I thought about some days that I had and, and some things that had happened, and it's been a tough week. As if you were here with worship with us last Sunday morning, my brother Charlie died about 9.20 Easter morning, and I was supposed to preach at 10.30, and God gave me strength to do that. Uh, and, but I, I really couldn't stop and grieve because I had to get on a plane and go to Indiana to do a funeral visitation Monday night, funeral Tuesday, fly back to do a funeral Wednesday. It, it's been a hectic week, and... I was all dressed up in a nice suit when I got to Indiana, and I walked in the back door of the kitchen at Hopewell Baptist Church, where I was for 15 years, and started hugging some friends, and one lady went to hug me, and she hit a, it, thank goodness it was not warm, but she hit a gallon of gravy that was in a pitcher, and it hit me right about here on my suit, and went down my leg and, and into the cuff, and, and uh, I was supposed to do a funeral in about two hours after that moment. Um, thank goodness I had some 
not as dressy, but some clothes of the rental car that I could wear and wear, but it wasn't that bad. We all started laughing, and they, they started calling me Biscuit for the rest of the day, which I was good and gravy on me. It was an interesting day, and then you have to fly, and that's no fun. Uh, a friend of mine whose little babies in the hospital, two pounds, 11 ounces, sent me a text, you know, about being scared. That, that's a day they won't forget. That's, that's a tough day. Uh, in the Old Testament book of Job, if you think about bad days, this one takes the cake. We find Job in the midst of the worst day of all. A terrible day. His 500 oxen and his 500 donkeys were stolen. His hired helpers were all killed. Fire destroyed his 7,000 sheep and all the shepherds. His 3,000 camels were stolen. His ten children were killed in a freak storm, seven sons, three daughters. And then we read in Job chapter 1 something that Job says, and I'm just blown away. It says that Job arose, he tore his robe in grief, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's room, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge, charge God with wrongdoing. That's an amazing response. Job was so connected to God that his strength was in that connection no matter what kind of day he had. When Kay was playing the offertory, it is well with my soul. You know the story behind the song. Horatio Spafford, the Chicago attorney, sent his wife and three daughters on a ship to England. He had to stay back in Chicago for work. The ship was struck and sank. Uh, three daughters died. His wife sent a telegram to Chicago with just two words on it, saved alone. So Spafford gets on a ship to head to Europe to meet his wife. This was probably the 1860s. And somewhere near the spot where his children died, he wrote that song, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's talk about that today. Let's pray. Father, that's an amazing connection that Horatio Spafford had. It's an amazing connection that Job had. And I pray that all of us in this room have those amazing connections. That no matter how the winds blow and how the storms come, that we are able to stand. That we are able to continue and increase in our connection with you, our Savior. Lord Jesus, we pray for help through every day. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, we're told how to stand up against anything. I'm going to read beginning in verse 10 through verse 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. 
Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know that section also very, very well. It's interesting to me in verse 11 and in verse 13 and verse 14, through all these attacks, what are we told to do? We're told to stand. We are told to stand. If a football player, and I like football, if a football player did not wear his protective gear, he would not stand long. They wouldn't make it through a series today. But as a Christian, if we don't listen to these words of Ephesians 6, we're not going to stand long either. Paul is telling us here that we'd better be ready for tough times and bad days and for whatever happens. As he writes these words, he himself is in prison. He reminds us that as Christians, we're engaged in a real battle. Satan, our enemy, is invisible, but we know that he is real. We know he's real, number one, because Scripture tells us he's real, and number two, because this world bears the scars of the conflict. We've seen too much. So as Paul writes these words, he's most likely looking at a Roman soldier in full gear, and he's kind of paying attention to how the soldier got ready and prepared. He tells us how we ought to be prepared. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. To a Roman soldier, a belt was very important. It's usually made of leather, and its main purpose was to keep the soldier's loose-fitting toga or cloak or robe or whatever you want to call it from flying around during the battle. So they had to get everything tucked in. Without the, a belt, a soldier was going to be in trouble. It held everything in place. Everything would be just flopping around and loose and at the mercy of your enemy if you didn't have the belt. There's some people today that need to wear belts, but I'm not even going there. And Paul is saying here that the belt that holds everything together for the Christian is truth. And as Christians, we know that that truth comes from God's Word. And how important it is that we listen to the truth of God because we can get lied to so very, very much and so very, very often by the world. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 has become one of my favorite verses. Proverbs 35 Every word of God is true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. God will tell us the truth, but, and He always tells us the truth, but Satan always lies to us. About Satan, Jesus said these words in the second part of verse 44 of John chapter 8. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in Him. When He lies, He speaks according to His own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So Ephesians 6.14 stresses the importance of, of truth. So 9.20 last Sunday morning when we got the call that Charlie had passed, uh, we were between breakfast and, and here. Uh, I had a 
choice, I guess, to make. I guess you would have understood if I left, but that didn't even become an option. What hit me was the truth that it was Easter. That Jesus rose from the dead, that there's resurrection power, that the grave is not final. And you know, all I could think about last Sunday morning was not the death of my brother, but the, the risen Savior. That's all I could think about. Because I chose to listen to the truth. It's that important. The soldier also wore a breastplate to protect your heart and your lungs and your stomach. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this. It says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. When Satan attacks our heart, our intellect, or our emotions, he tries to poison us against God with, with his love. <clears throat> you ever seen someone fall for someone they shouldn't have, but at a certain point in their life, I, I had people say to me, I should have guarded my heart. Very often it's a Christian who didn't. They did something they shouldn't. They made foolish decisions. They got away from the truth. They didn't guard their heart. So righteousness is that connection that leads you to a connection to God that will allow you to stand no matter what. You'll stand in the truth and you'll always guard your heart. Verse 15 in Ephesians 6. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It's in our feet. The, the new thing says, or NIV says, and with your feet uh, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. To be able to stand, and to be able to stand and proclaim the gospel of peace, you have to know the truth. You have to protect your heart. But for a Roman soldier, the shoes were sandals that, that had nails driven through them so that they could get traction and stand firm and not be pushed around. And here Paul is teaching that we can stand firm in this crazy world because of the peace that God has given to us. And we all have our stories. We've all gone to say goodbye to loved ones. We didn't want to say goodnight. When I was in Indiana with people I knew so well for the past 15 years, I've been working in the congregation and know what, what had happened. And to still see them stand, well, that's that is fabulous. Psalms 23, 5, about standing through difficult times. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I have a picture of, of a banquet, if you will. God preparing a table. You're eating and the enemies are all around you. But you're so trusted in God and you know the truth so much. It really doesn't matter what is happening around you. Let me tell you one of my favorite stories about that. But it's so important in my development. Jeremy died in the hospital in Cincinnati after a four-wheel wreck. He wasn't wearing a helmet. He and another boy came over the hill. They hit each other. One made it, one didn't. And two helicopters landed in the field, one with Indianapolis, one with Cincinnati. So I went to Cincinnati with David and Lisa and their son Jeremy and a lot of other cheerleaders. Jeremy lasted about a week. And I spent most every waking moment in the hospital. I would drive home at night, go to bed sometimes, drive back to Cincinnati, and we would wait. 
It got towards the end of the week, and Sunday was coming, and I had to get a sermon ready. The clock is always ticking. You always have to be ready for the next week, and I wasn't. And my week had been so consumed with this young man. And I remember going to David and Lisa, Jeremy was in his early 20s, and asking them, what do you want me to preach on Sunday I was out of ideas. And they looked at each other. We were standing in a hallway, and we just come from a doctor's conference, and the news was not good. And they were standing in a hallway, and they were holding hands, and they looked at me, and both of them together, and I don't know if they talked about that or God just used them. I think that's what happened. They looked at me and they said, Peace. Preach about peace. Jeremy didn't make it another 24 hours. Might have been gone that day. But here in the worst moment of their lives, their mom and dad with nails in their sandals, standing firm, knowing the truth, in a very difficult situation. <laughs> Philippians 4, 6, and 7 teaches this. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, no matter what kind of day you're having, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that comes from the truth and that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what happened to David and Lisa that day. That's what happened to me last week. That's what happened to Horatio Spafford on his way to Europe. And the phrase will guard your hearts is a military phrase. It's like God will put a, a, a sentry at, at the gate of your heart. And will just say, you know, anything else you stay out because I'm here to guard this. That is the truth. No matter what kind of day we go through. Because of our connection to God, I've come to believe that this is true, that the worst bad day of a Christian should be better than the greatest day of a non-Christian's life. Think about that. The worst day of my life should be better than the best day of a non-Christian's life because I've got that connection. We have a connection that gives us peace, and it helps us to stand no matter what. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. Let's stand.